Welcome to the Drafting Up Podcast. It's Jared Feinberg and Devin Jackson, and we are back with another episode of the Drafting Up Podcast. Devin, how you doing, my man? Doing pretty good, man. Uh, you know, excited to get back to talking uh, on the podcast and able to, to do this fully now. Don't have any issues. So uh, definitely excited about that and uh, excited to get this uh, episode going, man. So, Devin, the other day um, on the Draft Nut uh, podcast account on Twitter, uh, we asked um, we asked Twitter, you know, who were some of your who, or who were your first true draft crushes? And we had hundreds of responses. Um, we had some responses from we had a response from a Bills beat writer for um, ESPN. We had a Charles McDonald comment. We also had some of our uh, Blue Chip Scouting colleagues comment on that as well. We got some really nice answers from that, and it it brought up the idea of, okay, so what about my draft crushes, and what about your draft crushes, Devin? Who were our biggest draft crushes um, over the last couple of years or so? And for me, the list will be very short because I didn't start truly evaluating draft prospects until 2018. Um, so I've been, so this will be coming into 2022. This will be my fifth draft. So the list of prospects that I was big fans of had draft crushes on. It's quite small, but the, um, but I also have a list of biggest misses, and you do as well. So we're going to get into that after we get to our draft crushes. So I want to start with my um, biggest draft crush or my first draft crush, um, Deshaun Elliott, safety out of Texas. Um, he was he had a high second round grade in twenty eight in the twenty eighteen NFL draft on my board. Um, I apologize for saying first round grade. Um, and one of the tweets, um, I, I, for some reason, I thought he had a first-round grade. Forgot I gave him a high second-round grade. He was my 36 overall prospect in the 2018 NFL draft, but he was drafted by the Ravens at pick 190 in the sixth round. Now Deshaun Elliott in, I believe this is going to be year four, will have an expanded role um, on the roster. On the roster, he will most likely be the starter. Week one for the Baltimore Ravens, which gets me excited. I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do as a starter and maybe he can develop into a really, really good starter for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I, coming out of Texas, I liked his ability as a tackler. Um, his ball skills were great on tape. Um, I also thought he had good instincts and awareness and man zone coverage. Um, there are some other draft crushes I had in that draft. Saquon Barkley was my top ranked player and is still to this day my highest graded player, um, in all of my draft evaluations. Ever since I started this in 2018, Barkley is still my highest graded player. Um, Baker Mayfield, my time for my QB1, uh, was my eighth overall prospect. I love this game. I was really hoping he'd be the number one pick, um, and came to fruition, and in now entering year four, he looks like he's um, on his way to being a consistent top ten quarterback if he continues the production he had um, last year in year three. Um, Devin, uh, what was your who was your first draft crush, and um, 
I don't think I really got an um, answer from you. Or I, well, I'm not really sure when you started um, doing legit draft evaluations for the NFL draft. So when you first started that, who was your very first draft crush? Well, I started at the tail end of the 2019 class. Uh, that's when I, uh, in the 2020 class, is the first one I actually did a full uh, class for. Uh, but my very, very first one was was uh, Cesar Ruiz, strangely enough, uh, the uh, the center that uh, out of Michigan now plays for the Saints. And it was crazy because uh, he was one of those players that I didn't really, and, and I kind of went through a little bit of summer scouting. I didn't do to any degree that I did now, I watched maybe 20, 25 players back then because I was still getting kind of new and, and accustomed to, uh, you know, scouting and kind of what that process is like uh, in, in the summer of 2020 or the, the summer of 2019, I should say. Uh, but uh, the first true one that I had that I knew was like, OK, this this guy, I'm, I'm going to go all in on this guy. We'll see Ruiz. Uh, I talked about him back in October of that season. Uh, after the game against Notre Dame, and he was one of those guys that I I saw he could get to the second level quickly. Uh, he was you know doing reach blocks with ease. He was getting out and uh, blocking guys on screens and whatnot. He's very athletic for uh, a center, so I knew immediately that was going to be a guy that that I loved. And, and he ended up being a first rounder. I didn't expect him to be a first rounder when uh, I started liking him or, you know, even when I did my final evaluation, I gave him uh, a mid second round grade. I didn't think he was going to test as well as he did and, and impress. And I didn't think he was going to get picked to the Saints. Uh, by the end of the, the draft cycle, though, I was mocking him to like the Vikings or, or somebody like that in the first round. Uh, but never did I imagine you would end up on the Saints. So that was like, that's like a, almost a picture perfect, <laughs> you know, first draft first because he went first round. Uh, and how rare, how rare is that? You know, a guy that, you know, a lot of people weren't talking about until December, January. Uh, I don't want to claim that I was the first on him, but I was an early person on, on how good he was and how good his game was. And yeah, that was, that's the story. Kind of my first draft crush. Cesar Ruiz um, was a guy that blew me away and, he, uh, in, you know, he's obviously playing for the Saints, and he's in, entering his second season, and, and probably going to start at guard. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones because some other people did not get as lucky as I did. In 2019, for me, um, a couple draft crushes I had were Brian Burns and DK Metcalf. Brian Burns, um, coming out of Forest State, I think we all knew he was a terrific player. Um, terrific athlete, terrific bin, excellent length, good pass pass rush repertoire. That's that has continued to be added on as he's um continued to progress with Carolina Panthers. Um, he was my third. He was tied for my edge one with Nick Boza, and he was my third overall prospect in that draft class. He fell to Carolina at sixteen. For me as a Panthers fan, beyond excited, beyond excited. And now he looks like one of the best pass rush. He's one of the best up and coming pass rushers in the league right now. DK Metcalf, I I sort of hopped on onto the train with Brad Kelly, um, who 
is one of the best wide receiver gurus I know. Um, I've learned a lot about the receiver position from him. Um, and you know, watching Metcalf on tape, what it was so fun to watch. Yet people, you know, critique him so much because of a bad three cone and his route running wasn't sun or elite like all the other receivers in that draft class. You know, look, Metcalf, he is continuing to improve as a route runner. He is he is definitely a top ten wide receiver in my opinion, and we'll get to that um here at the end of the pod here later on at the end of the podcast. But DK Metcalf um was my wide receiver one, was my fifth overall prospect, yet he fell to the sixth not the sixth round. To the second fell to the back end of the second round. The last pick in the second round, 64th overall in the 2019 NFL draft. And now he's made the NFL, you know, he's, he's making the NFL pay. He had a career year last year. He's bound to have another big year next year. Um, Metcalf is truly becoming one of the league's brightest young stars at the wide receiver position. So I'm really, really excited to see him take the next step. Um, here in the NFL. So, Devin, you know, I know you didn't really start watching prospects until, you know, the really the 2020 draft class, like, was your first true season um, for evaluating prospects. Um, you know, is there any name from the 2019 class that stands out to you? Uh, in terms of prospects or, or just in general? Um, just in general, like, Prospects you you liked in general from the 2019 draft class that you would probably consider to be a draft crush if you were doing if you were doing that full class uh, overall. Yeah, um, you know, because I was kind of still watching football as just like a general for him. You know, before yeah. I got into scouting, really, I, I like I, I started probably like late February March, so I kind of got on the tail end. Uh, but as in terms of uh, players that, uh, you know, kind of stuck out in my mind just watching, uh, D.K. Metcalf was a player that, that I did like uh, just from watching his college football games. You know, I thought, you know, he was a, a great deep threat, uh, big, strong guy uh, that, you know, really, really stood out in, in terms of uh, his ability to, uh, you know, get behind defenders. Obviously, the neck injury. Uh, and, and kind of everything around that was uh, kind of up in the air and, and kind of, you know, obviously tanked his draft stock, but it, it didn't hurt him uh, too, too bad. Uh, Mark Marquise Brown was someone that I really liked, too, uh, partly because of Gus Johnson, uh, calling him Hollywood Brown, but also uh, his ability to stretch the field. Jonathan Abram was someone also I, I also liked, too, because uh, he, he would come downhill, hard-hitting safety, uh, was all over the field at Mississippi State. Uh, was was able to really um, you know show showcase range and also the ability to play in the box and that's kind of why I started getting intrigued with safeties because I saw you know there were some that went first round there were some that went of early rounds and and now that I've got more into it they're still undervalued you know you you get maybe one to two safeties every year and go in the first round but somehow a rookie or inexperienced safety is always uh, ending up starring on an NFL team. So that, that made me think, obviously, the safety position uh, should and, and obviously has been valued. 
Uh, Greedy Williams, obviously, for, for personal reasons, is an LSU fan. Uh, I thought he was going to go late first round, early second round, and mm-hmm. that wasn't the case. Uh, um, but, you know, I, I think he still did a pretty good situation with the Browns. So those were a couple guys, uh, you know, that – because I really didn't get to – I got to maybe 50 to 60 prospects that first year. Uh, but those are a couple guys that stood out to me because uh, I watched a lot of SEC football. So I, I was exposed to a lot of the SEC, SEC players already and what they were able to do. So that's why, like, Abram kind of caught my eye, uh, Greedy Williams, uh, and some of those other guys. But early on, it was definitely SEC heavy for me uh, in terms of uh, players that I really liked, uh, you know, really going into that draft class. Yeah, I, I also like Greedy Williams, too. Um, I, I, I was really impressed with his tape, um, in terms of a man coverage and press coverage perspective. Um, he displayed, um, some good tape in those areas. Um, and there were some instances though, where he did struggle against more physical talent. Um, and also he, he was just God awful against the run. Like he did not want to do have anything involved with playing against a run, um, and that's why he kind of, he fell to the second round. And I think there were also some injury concerns as well, if I remember correctly. Um, but now he is projected to be a potential starter for um, for the Cleveland Browns this upcoming season, um, or at least be a rotational corner for. Um, for the Browns, which is still pretty good because Greedy Williams is, I think, a, cal- is a starting caliber cornerback um, who is going to continue to improve. Entering year three, I think um, you're going to see some improvement from uh, Greedy Williams coming into this season. Um, the next two players from the 2020 and 2021 draft classes that I had draft crushes on, uh, Jeff Gladney out of TCU, um, I in 2020, really loved his tape, um, really good boundary corner, um, great versatility in both man and zone, possessed really good fluid hips, excellent footwork, good football IQ. I thought his best trait was um, his footwork, like just very clean, um, very patient feet. Um, and, of course, his length was probably one of the more concerning aspects of um of him overall. Um, sadly, he hasn't turned out like we were hoping to. Um, and also he's run into some trouble that we'll get into, um, once we get into some of the misses. So a little hint there. 2021 for me was Caleb Farley. I also liked Jalen Ferguson, or not Jalen Ferguson, um, Jalen Phillips, um, out of Miami. Both players ranked in my top 10. Caleb Farley was my number one cornerback, even with all the injuries and whatnot. And whatnot. Um, you know, Farley's talent, just incredible. Very explosive on tape, great ball skills, incredibly fluid. Um, that was just his, his tape made me love him so much that I was like, no matter what anyone says, even with all the injury concerns, I'm not changing my grade with this one at all. Farley is sticking in my top ten. He is my top corner. Um, and, you know, Patrick Sertan and Jay-Z Horn, both of them, like, were close to being that top cornerback. But Farley held on for me um, just off his, you know, his ceiling, um, his potential as a corner, his ball skills, his man coverage ability, his athleticism. 
um, his ability to really learn the position and continuing to progress at um, at his new position. And, you know, he's not played the cornerback position long, so it'll be interesting to see how well Farley does with the Tennessee Titans if he can stay healthy. Um, and if he can do so, Farley could be one of the best cornerbacks in the league. I know that's kind of a stretch to say, but as long as he stays healthy, I believe Farley can progress and become one of the best cornerbacks in the league because he has that type of talent. It's up to the Titans and Farley himself to help him with his progression and also for Farley to just just to stay healthy, you know, and hopefully he doesn't have any lingering injuries early in his career that could cost him down the road. Um, some of the big misses, I want to get into that. Some of the big misses we both have had. Um, I know you mentioned um, you missed on uh, Jonathan Abram. Um, you liked him as a player, but you missed out on him because um, you you didn't have the best knowledge of the safety position. Yeah. Uh, for for me, the easy one is Josh Rosen. Um, I liked him a lot coming out of UCLA. I thought going to Arizona, you know, I was like, yeah, the Cardinals, they got – their quarterback of the future. This is going to be great. He's going to do well in year one. I think he can help the Cardinals out immediately. This is going to be great. A few years later, he's not even on an NFL team. And he's already been on, well, is, where is he now? San Francisco or Tampa Bay? Um, I think the last time we heard from him, he was on Tampa Bay's practice squad. Uh, uh, and that was during the season. Uh, looking at him now, he's played. He's on the 49ers now. 49ers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His fourth team. His fourth team in four years. Cardinals decided to kick his ass out of Arizona as soon as they drafted Kyler Murray, number one, because they were like, no, we do not like Rosen. He does not fit what we want. We want Murray. They traded him to Miami. People thought Rosen in Miami could be something nice, could help them out a lot. Rosen comes in, doesn't play well. Clashed a little bit, doesn't play well still. Then the Dolphins drafted Tua, and now here we are. Josh Rosen no longer, he's probably never going to start in the NFL ever again. It just sucks to see such a talented quarterback go downhill. Um, there were some off-field concerns. I think it was just because, like, he had other interests interests off the field, um, and maybe that was probably a reason why he really didn't progress um, into a good football player was he, he just had other interests off the field, that, and football just seemed second to him. And that's kind of why we've seen this downfall with Josh Rosen. So it kind of sucks to see Rosen just fall off the face of the earth after being a top 10 selection. And so much weed out the other day, you know, Josh Rosen might be the biggest bust in the last 20 to 30 years. I mean, that that's a bit of a stretch, I would say, but it's not not crazy to think because Rosen was highly touted coming out of UCLA, coming to UCLA as well. People thought he was the next big thing, the next Peyton Manning, the next Tom Brady or something. 
never turned out to be that at all. Year four, he's with the 49ers, most likely he probably isn't making the roster. And they and the Niners already have the quarterback of the future there in Trey Lance. Rosen has become an afterthought, not even thought about in the league anymore, unless you hear him like, oh, he signs with another team for onto their practice squad and whatnot. So the best thing he could be down the road is a career backup. Other than that, he'll probably be out of the league in a, in a year. It wouldn't surprise me if he's not on an NFL team um, over the next couple of years because I doubt he's making the roster for 49ers. Yeah, that one's a tough one because there weren't many people that thought he should, he would, his career would end up like this. You know, yeah. there are people that didn't think that highly of him, but still had him going first round. There are people that were all in on him, but there really wasn't anyone that were like, yeah, he's never going to be successful in the league. So that's what I think makes that kind of a hard pill to swallow uh, because, you know, it, there's an argument that, you know, he never really got a chance. But, I mean, when he did play, he really did not look good, you know, nope. it, and it. it we, we can kind of try, try and chalk it up to, you know, scheme or offensive line or whatnot. But when it came down to it, he, he just couldn't do it, you know, and, and just could not be that difference maker. Because I feel like oftentimes, like, obviously we're not patient with quarterbacks anymore, you know, with how yeah. instant success you need. But you got to show something. He really didn't show much of anything uh, in, in any of his starts, really, uh, which is disappointing. There was one start, I think, against the Cowboys where – they dropped like three, four passes that, that he threw pretty well. But I think he never really uh, bounced back after getting shipped off after one season from the Cardinals and then kind of just thrown into the, the Dolphins position, just thrown into game. So I feel like he never really got solid footing. He was never really the first option after his first year. So, you know, you kind of lose confidence. And, and as a quarterback, you, you need to have confidence. And he just didn't look like he had it. Uh, really the last time he was out there and playing. So I think that one was, was a tough one to swallow. Um, for me, uh, there's a couple people that I, I've missed on that, you know, I, I thought were going to be at least make the roster or something. But there was a couple of players that either really underwhelmed my expectations or just, just did not pan out the way I thought they would. And uh, part of it was understanding – more about how the NFL views prospects and how learning kind of who they like, who they don't like, what type of guys they go after, what type of guys they don't. Uh, but one for me was Dele Harding from Illinois. Uh, he was a linebacker uh, for for the fighting Illini for, for a couple years. Uh, and he had a, on paper, you know, if you look at his stats, he had one of the better, if not the best, you know, season in terms of linebackers in the conference. And, you know, I wrote a scouting report on him, and I thought, you know, at least he's a late-round flyer. He didn't get picked up. You know, he didn't get drafted. He didn't even get picked up. I think he got picked up as a UDFA but didn't last through camp. And he really hasn't even been on a, a team since. So that was one of my biggest misses because I had him at least a draftable grade on him. Mm -hmm. But there are really no red flags or, or any off-field concerns either. He just – I just don't think he, he was able to fit in the NFL. Uh, he was 
And he was someone that had interceptions, had forced fumbles, you know, ran, came off of uh, the edge blitzing, able to get sacks. He, he did a little bit of everything in this game, but he just wasn't able to, to elevate his game to the NFL level. And, and that one kind of kind of stings with me because he was like one of my uh, favorite early linebackers uh, from that 2020 class. Uh, but he just never really stuck anywhere. And and not to say his career is done or anything like that. He could very well make a comeback. But that one was a huge miss for me because, like I said, I had a draftable grade on him, and, and he didn't even, you know, make it past, you know, training camp. You know, to even get a shot on a practice squad or even a roster, so that was that was a big miss for me. Um, a couple big misses for me, and and um, before the 2021 draft, because I I, I don't want to do any like misses from the 2021 draft, even though our Darius Washington could be a miss for me because I had a high second round grade on him end up going undrafted to the Baltimore Ravens or later signed by the Baltimore Ravens as a priority free agent. Um, but I'm because I haven't seen their product or if they even made the roster um, so far this offseason or even seen them play this year, I'm going to stick it with 2020 uh, and 2019. Um 2019, Hakeem Butler had a first-round grade on him, wide receiver out of Iowa State. He was drafted by the um, Arizona Cardinals in the fourth round, um, pick 103. Um, I I thought he was a great athlete. Um, I really – there were there was a lot to like about him, in my opinion. Um, great size, great length. Um, I thought he flashed incredible ball skills. Um, I thought he was just I, – I guess that was part of me just not really understanding really what I was looking at with a wide receiver. And that's one of the mistakes I made um, watching prospects uh, and or watching the wide receiver position. I thought he was, you know, going to be an incredible player for the Cardinals. I thought he was going to – be a steal um, from the fourth round. You know, this is a player that I thought could make an instant impact for the Cardinals. Now he's on the Eagles playing tight end instead of a wide instead of playing wide receiver. So, you know, there there was there were some parts of his game that were like, wow, this is like one of the best receivers in the draft. He has a great future ahead of him. He's going to be great. Now he is trying to make a comeback as a tight end in the NFL with the Philadelphia Eagles. I doubt that will work out very well. I don't know if he even makes the roster for the Philadelphia Eagles, you know. It's for younger draft evaluators like myself, You, there's a lot of lessons I've learned. Um, over the last couple of years, especially from the 2018 and 2019 drafts, where there's a prospect that I thought was really talented, I thought was going to be a star in the NFL, or at least a very impactful player in the NFL, and they just turn out to be not even they they just become an afterthought, and that's what happened with Josh Rosen, Josh Rosen, he can that Josh Rosen. <laughs> 
and Hakeem Butler. I can't speak this morning. Jeff Gladney is one of my misses from the 2020 draft. Not just, not because, well, he did display some flashes in his rookie year. But then this offseason, he got into some trouble and he's facing prison time. Last I checked. So I don't expect him to see him on an NFL field anymore. Let's just say that. So Gladney, very talented corner, thought he was going to be a great corner for the Minnesota Vikings. Um, didn't turn out to be, probably not going to turn out to be the case um, with his off-field issues and potentially facing prison time um, for the stuff he um, um, for the stuff he he's been alleged of doing. I, I don't exactly remember what he what. He is facing prison time for. I know it's some sort of felony. It might have been a domestic um, violence case or or something like that. I'm not entirely sure, but um, I don't expect Jeff Blatney to play in the NFL ever again if he's facing prison time. So, I mean, unless he ends up getting probation and stuff like that in cases that I have no idea. We don't know. But Blatney is definitely going to be one of my bigger misses. Um, just because of how talented he was, um, and sadly he could not get out of his own way, and off-field issues have now taken over him, and he's facing prison time. So that that's definitely one of my bigger misses from the last few years as a draft evaluator. Yeah, Hakeem Butler was another one for me because I thought you know he was gonna you know at the very least stick around and and be you know if not a top receiver at least a depth receiver on on a roster but he just never even get to that point which is tough you know it's you know like you said uh, uh scouting players it, it's it's a tough business because you can have all the you know uh film study all of the examples of how they translate you know, have examples of players in NFL doing plays like that, but you just never know really the the other half of it, which is how are they in the film room? You know, how are they uh, taking in new information? You know, how are they adjusting to new environments? And that's why it's so difficult to, uh, you know, if you really don't know the or you don't know kind of the process in, internally in, in terms of what happens behind closed doors, what happens in the meeting rooms with NFL uh, executives and personnel, it's kind of hard to say, you know, this is a surefire Hall of Fame type of player. Because on film they can show that, but if they can't, you know, comprehend what they're seeing on the field, if they can't slow the game down and, and have that mental aspect of the game, you know, you, you end up with players that, should be good, but don't don't end up turning their career into anything because of a variety of factors. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a tough, you know, damn if you do, damn if you don't. You know, you know, you yep. can can make the the predictions and and make, um, you know, just all these different things. But at the end of the day, you you gotta be able to, uh, you know, kind of separate what is important in, in terms of scouting and what's not, you know, and for receivers, it's gotten incredibly difficult over the years. You know, that's why Hakeem Butler was a big miss. You know, we thought those bigger body, uh, you know, 
guys that can go up and snatch the ball in the air, all those type things. You thought, you know, of course, that's very possible. You know, he, he should be a good player, but then it just ends up not being that. So for me, you know, uh, another one was Zakeem Butler as well. And for me, uh, another one that's kind of early to tell, but it was a miss because I thought he was going to be one of the top tight ends in the 2020 class was Bryson Hopkins, Mm -hmm. uh, the the tight end out of Purdue. And, you know, it was tough for me because, like, you know, I felt like with playing the tight end position in college and able to know kind of the nuances of the game, and I thought he had that ability to not necessarily be a Travis Kelsey, but have that type of role or be kind of an Evan Ingram type of player because he he just not he's not going to be a great blocker probably mm-hmm. in his career, but he was able to stretch the field vertically. He was and he was part of a, a three headed monster at at Purdue. They had David Bell, Rondell Moore, Rondell Moore, and Bryson Hopkins all on the same team. So I thought for sure that he was going to be someone that turned out to be you know maybe a second early second or early third round pick. They got picked, didn't get picked to the the Rams, and let me check to make sure. I think it was like round four, maybe or or later. It, it, it was somewhere around there. I'm, if I'm yeah, it was it was round four, pick one thirty six. It was just disappointing because I thought he was a day two pick for sure, and that's why I said don't try try not to speak in absolutes when scouting because you just never know. Uh, but he didn't test well, uh, even though he looked like a, a great athlete on the field. He didn't test well, and and. He did have some drop issues uh, in his career that I, I kind of overlooked because I thought, okay, you know, it's just more concentration drops than anything. But uh, he's kind of in a battle right now to even be on an active roster, and he's battling yeah. with the rookie Jacob Harris uh, out of UCF. So right now it's kind of early to say that he was a miss, but I think he, he still kind of counts as a miss because I had him going higher than he should have, and he was essentially a non-factor uh, in – Granted, it was a stacked Rams offensive, uh, you know, system and scheme, but he didn't even uh, make an appearance in one game, and now he's he's in another battle with uh, for the backup position with Jacob Harris. So he's kind of in a tough position right now, uh, and and I, I don't see him really. I don't know if he's going to be a difference maker, uh, maybe for another couple of years. So I think that's that's one of my misses too as well. All right. You know, yeah, you were saying about don't make any absolutes for the NFL draft because nothing is guaranteed. Um, that's something I learned. Um, I, I really didn't learn until maybe a couple years ago. Um, probably it was either the 2019 or 2020 drafts where, like, not to really speak in absolutes with prospects because you can get – you're ass bitten by that, and someone finds your tweet about guaranteeing a player being good or something, come back to bite you in the ass. And it has a couple times with some Josh Rosen tweets. So, you know, to any of the draft, to any young draft analysts out there, like probably eight, 17, 18, 19 years old, maybe even my age, maybe a couple years older. Still learning the process. Make sure you're not making absolutes about prospects. Make sure you're saying, I think, or um, he could, they could, or make sure you're not making absolute guarantees about players, especially draft prospects, because 
anything can happen, especially like when it comes to mock drafts. Anything can happen in the NFL drafts. Mock drafts are just to provide people names to know for the NFL drafts, where they, where people think they could go, where the best fit for them could be, any of that. You know, it's just the NFL draft is a total guessing game. And the future of each of these prospects is a total guessing game too. We may, we don't know what their future holds. We just, we just have to hope that what we saw in the past can translate into the future. So that's something that I've learned over the last few years as, as a young draft analyst. All right. I think it's time we look at my top 20 wide receiver list. Um, I um, posted this article late, late last night, um, but I ended up tweeting out this morning. Um, I've, I've gotten some responses. I've already gotten a response from a Saints fan who is not happy where I have Michael Thomas ranked. Um, I don't know, and I'm about to know how what your reaction is to where I have Michael Thomas ranked. So I'm going to just list out the names um, 20 to 1, um, the way it is in the article. Some honorable mentions that um, that I end up listing out. Robert Woods, Cortland Sutton, Antonio Brown, Kenny Galladay, Debo's. Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Juju Smith-Schuster, Cooper Cup, C.D. Lamb. Some players that are deserving of potentially being top 20 receivers in the NFL just missing the list. So um, here we go. D.J. Moore, 20th um, wide receiver, 20. Wide receiver, 19, Tyler Lockett. Wide receiver, 18, OBJ. Wide receiver, 17, Adam Thielen. 16, Terry McLaurin. 15, Amari Cooper, 14, Calvin Ridley, 13, Keenan Allen, 12, Michael Thomas, there's your boy, um, 11, Justin Jefferson, there's four in those boy, um, 10, Allen Robinson, 9, A.J. Brown, 8, D.K. Metcalf, 7, Mike Evans, 6, Chris Godwin. I, I, I was thinking I would get a lot more responses about that ranking um, than any other. I think I've seen, or from what people have told me, it, it's not crazy to think Chris Godwin is a better all-around receiver than Mike Evans, but we'll get into that here um, in just a few minutes. Um, Julio Jones, 5, Devontae Adams, 4, Stephon Dix, 3, DeAndre Hopkins, 2, and then Tyreek Hill is my number one receiver heading into the NFL season. Um a little description of why Tyreek Hill is my number one wide receiver um, coming into the season. It's in the article, um, but some of, the, some of the stuff I really like about Hill is that he, anytime he's on the field, your defense is in trouble. Every play, your defense is in trouble. Every passing play, more specifically, your defense is in trouble. Hell, maybe even every run play because Tyreek Hill – is used in a variety of roles in Andy Reid's offense. Um, elite quickness, elite explosiveness and speed, natural separation skills, um, good body control during and through his routes. Um, his ball skills are underrated. There are a lot of elements in his game that are pretty underrated. He doesn't have the most elite catch radius, but he can make some crazy catches 
um, on all three levels of the field. And of course, his run after catchability is elite for obvious reasons. Um, as long as Tyreek Hill can stay healthy, this is going to be one of the least elite receivers for years to come. This is why I have Tyreek Hill as my number one receiver heading into the 2021 NFL season. So, Devin, you, you've gotten a chance to look at my list of, and also here again, the list of receivers I have in the top 20. What stands out to you and what do you like the most from this from this list, what do you like the least from this class, or not this class, from this list? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll start with something that uh, I that I probably wouldn't do personally if I had the list, but I, I also understand. Uh, I think I don't know. I it, it's kind of weird for to have just. I think Justin Jefferson is maybe just a touch high, uh, only because you know he has that one season in production. Uh, but he he was he was a elite uh, receiver last year, you know, and and I definitely understand kind of that projection that he's going to continue taking that next step and be as you have him right now a top eleven receiver. Uh, I I think for me it's just tough with receivers because like it lists are like this are fluid from year to year, you know. Yeah. You obviously Michael Thomas is coming off an injury. Uh, injury filled season uh, had nowhere near the production also it's not going to have Drew Brees as well so that I think that kind of plays a part in it so I don't think I, I dislike the Michael Thomas ranking really I think it's just that Justin Jefferson I think is a little high I think he's probably top 13 14 receivers I think I have him probably 13 or 14 on this list uh, but I don't I don't you know hate it I love Allen Robinson in the top 10 I don't think he nearly gets enough credit for his ability to, uh, you know, be one of the, the better receivers in the league with a pretty bad uh, quarterback situation that he's had over the last few years. So I really like that, having, uh, you know, Allen Robinson in the top 10. Um, I thought Julio Jones was a little high, uh, too. I think he's more on the lower end of the top 10. I still think he's a, one of the best receivers in the NFL when healthy, but I think uh, if you set the president that, uh, you know, maybe, you know, kind of injuries kind of play in part in this rankings as well uh, as, in terms of situation two, uh, I think that one is like, you know, I think you, you probably rank Julio and A.J. Brown probably in, in similar type of uh, rankings, like very close to each other, uh, Which, but I don't think him having at top five is bad. Uh, I think Devontae Adams is unquestionably a top three receiver, but I also understand uh, your kind of point of view uh, with having Tyreek Hill, DeAndre Hopkins, and Stephon Diggs is a top three. But I do think Adams is a top three receiver. Um, I don't think Tyreek Hill will probably be my my wide receiver one or the, my top receiver in the NFL. He, he would certainly be in the top three or four uh, for sure. But I think I think uh, Devontae Adams has done enough to at least uh, get a, a top three ranking just with his release package, his ability to create after the catch, uh, his ability to make contested catches, I think, uh, he provides a little bit more versatility as well. Can can operate from the slot too. Um, so I, I think that's why I probably have an edge over him uh, as opposed to DeAndre Hopkins. But like I said, I don't I don't really dislike the list. I think obviously Mike Evans and Chris Godwin both deserve to be uh, in the top ten. I think I probably rank Mike Evans uh, for sure over Chris Godwin, but I think it's a close call. I really don't uh, fault anyone for having him higher. Uh, but 
overall, I think it's a very solid list. I think the top 20 receivers, I wouldn't really replace anyone on that list. Uh, I think C.D. Lamb is, um, you know, approaching top 20 territory. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, his quarterback situation is going to improve, too, so his numbers should and and be even a more uh, lethal weapon that offense. Um, But I think overall, generally, I, I don't have too many too many qualms about it. Uh, maybe you can make a argument that McLaurin over Amari Cooper, but like I said, it's really up to preference and, and what you value in receivers, but I, I really had no problems in general with the list. I haven't heard any, uh, a bad word yet about my ranking with McLaurin and Amari Cooper. I would expect uh football team and um, Cowboys fans to be all over my ass being like, why aren't those two players in your top ten? They're top ten receivers. What are you doing? You know, I can't wait for those delusional fans to get into my mentions. You know, it's going to be glorious once it happens, if it happens. Um, one player um, that I'm really excited about for this upcoming season, and might be a little biased um, with this point, but um, my 20th ranked player on this list, DJ Moore, Carolina Panthers wide receiver. I think he is bound to have a big year this year. Um, not not necessarily because um, he has a new quarterback, and there's a lot of unknown with this new quarterback, but DJ Moore is on the cusp of being one of the great receivers in this league. Um, and, you know, he, his route running has gotten better every year. Um, and I expect it to be the best it's been since he's come into the league. Um, I'm expecting him to get a lot of targets, um, even though it's going to be hard to try to feed so many mouths in terms of, like, who do we give targets to? Do we get all the targets to McCaffrey, Moore, Anderson? Like, who do we give it to? There's so many mouths to feed. Um, but DJ Moore, I think – with another really good season um, and a couple dominating performances, I could see him moving quite far up this list. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he's a top 12 wide receiver on this list um, at the end or by the time we're at this point next year um, talking about, okay, who are the top receivers going into the 2022 season? So it, it this list, like you said, it's fluid every year. There's always consistent change in the spot. Um, another position that really has a lot of change and um, inconsistencies in terms of who's really the top player at their position is the cornerback position. One year it's Stephon Gilmore. One year it's Jalen Ramsey. One year it's um, – trying to think off the top of my head um, – Going blank. One year, I'll just say Patrick Peterson. Um, a couple years ago, he was still considered one of the best cornerbacks in the entire league. Um, so this list, it's always fluid, and you know, people have their preferences. You know, I prefer Chris Godwin over Mike Evans. Not to say Mike Evans isn't bad. Mike Evans is a special talent, but in terms of what you, in terms of what Chris Godwin brings onto the field. I would take Godwin over Evans. Um, I think DK Metcalf has a chance of being a like truly elite wide receiver in terms of 
he can just take over a game anytime he wants to as a wide receiver. I think he is closing in on that point. We may not see it this upcoming season, but we may see it in a couple seasons. It's not out of the question. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to see how well Justin Jefferson does in year two after the big year he had. Um, if he continues to put up the production, um, like he did last year, he, he will probably be in the top 10 of this list next year, most likely. If Michael Thomas, um, comes back healthy and puts on a show, he'll be back in the top 10. You know, there are plenty of receivers on this list that outside the top 10 deserve to be, uh, in that top 10. Calvin Ridley, Keenan Allen, um, Michael Thomas, um, even Terry McLaurin and Amari Cooper with good seasons. Adam Thielen was once considered a top 10 receiver. Odell Beckham Jr., he was considered one of the best receiver, if not the best receiver in the league at one point. Um, I could say DJ Moore could be in that top 10 list. Even Tyler Lockett with another great season. Um, you know, there are so many names that could really just jump up and replace someone that's currently in the top 10. You know, you can't have a hundred different people in the top 10, you know. Um, this list just goes to show how much talent there is at the wide receiver position. And there's a chance that a couple years down the road, we could be saying the wide receiver position is becoming devalued because there's so much depth, so much talent that teams in the NFL draft may wait to until the third round to get a wide receiver. Like if a wide receiver is like a top need, they'll wait until the third round to get their wide receiver. And that wide receiver could go on to be one of the best in the league. You know, it, it, we're getting close to that point. Um, same like we saw with running backs, you know, running backs, um, for years were considered a very valuable position. But once the league started to become more of a passing league, now you're seeing the running back position become more devalued, um, unless you're a true all around running back that can be an elite runner, elite runner and an elite receiver out of the backfield. And I think Christian McCaffrey, along with Alvin Kamara and Saquon Barkley. I think those are the exceptions because those three players are insanely talented and are insanely versatile um, with their skill sets. So um, that's just my thoughts on my own list. Um, I don't know if you have any other outgoing thoughts about this list. Devin, do you have any? Yeah, um, Keenan Allen is a tough one because – I think he's one of those receivers that I think eventually in 10, 15 years are going to look back and say, why didn't we value him more? You know, why didn't we appreciate him more while he was playing? Uh, you know, his route, route running ability, I think, parallels to Devontae Adams. I think they're the two best route runners in the NFL in terms of being able to create separation, uh, footwork, uh, able to, to run, <clears throat> you know, uh, routes from the slot and from uh, the outside and, and just able to, to just get open when, you know, even double teams are, are thrown their way or they have a safety over the top. So I think, you know, Allen is a tough one. Cause like he could be very well a top 10 receiver, but who do you put him over? You know, and, and yeah. his production just doesn't match what he's put, you know, on, on the field, I think, or, or some of those other top guys. Uh, but I think the 10, the number 10 spot, 
specifically is very interchangeable. You know, you could put any of those guys 10 to 14 uh, at 10. You know, I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those spots that all those guys are, are can be elite and have shown elite flashes, but I think either injury or not getting an opportunity to or quarterbacks have held those guys back or, or just experience. So I think that the the end of that top 10 list is very interesting because they could go many different ways. I mean, you can even throw, clump eight to 14 together as yep. well, because you can, because I think the top seven are, are, are pretty set in stone in terms of who, who the, the best receivers are. Mm-hmm. But I think really eight through 14 is, is where you get a lot of different uh, people with a lot of different opinions yeah. and it can, it can become, you know, they make projections or they think, you know, this year they'll take the next step for a la Justin Jefferson. So I think, you know, like I said, overall, I think uh, generally speaking, it's a very well-constructed list uh, that has all the names I think should be mentioned in the top 20. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I didn't have too many issues. It was just a few guys here and there that I probably would have ranked higher or lower. But but generally speaking, I think it's a good list. I I was surprised with, you know, every time I put out a list, you know, I'm like, I'm expecting people to hate it. You know, it, it's the funny thing to say, like, in a tweet, you're going to absolutely hate this list um, because, you know, you'll have fans out there that are like, this is the worst list in NFL history. Who in the world wrote this? He should be fired, blah, blah, blah. You know, you have people like that. You have people that take this thing too seriously. But, you know, we're just here to have fun. This was a fun list to make. Uh, one of the more difficult lists to make, but still fun either way. I really enjoyed it. I hope I'm probably going to end up making a, maybe another list, maybe a quarterback list, um, for this upcoming season. I don't know when I'm going to do that. It could be sometime next month, but I'm expected, I'm expecting myself to, do something along those lines for the quarterback position. Um, I did watch Matt Carroll um, finish his evaluation this morning. He had a late third round grade. I wanted to get that out of the way. There is a lot to like about him. It's just it's the mind and the eyes that are needing work in terms of like the cognition of like being able to process stuff correctly reading coverages, all that. Just wanted to get that out of the way. Um, like, Carroll, very talented quarterback, or Corral, very talented quarterback. I think he, with a, another good step next season, he can definitely be a first, he can be an absolute first-round pick. He has the talent. He just needs to capitalize on the potential that he has. If he does that, if he improves some of the mental stuff, some of the lower body stuff, I think he could be really good. Um, next season in college football, and he, and he could really help out Ole Miss in terms of their placing in the SEC standings. You know, if we had the 12 team playoff start this year, I would say, you know, if Mac Carroll or Corral can really turn up his game, I think Ole Miss could be a sleeper for that 12 team playoff. That just take a, you know, crazy to say. I know. But just wanted to get that out of the way. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Devin and I will be back tomorrow with a live stream for the Drafting Up podcast tomorrow evening. We're going to be talking prospects and whatnot. Um, I got a 
few prospects and we'll watch tonight. We'll, we'll talk about more about Mac, uh, Mac Corral, um, or Mac Carroll, whichever his last name is. I apologize to Mac Carroll, Corral, whatever his last name is. I'm sorry, Matt. Apologize, bro. But, um, guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Peace.